0: I find it really fascinating how developer advocacy or DevRel, developer relations, I feel like there's so many different terms for it and they all are slightly different, I guess, but how it is so different across the industry and by company. Each time I make a switch in my career, I do try to go somewhere where it is a little bit uncomfortable and there's a lot of new material where I can just keep learning. People look to developer advocates to kind of learn what's going on with the product, what's the latest in the industry. You kind of have to be a learner to be successful in this role.
1: Hi, I'm Liz Fong-Jones. And I'm Charity Majors. And you're listening to Observability Cast, or Ollicast for short, a fortnightly series about the art and science of making production systems observable, easy to maintain, and appropriately reliable. Olicast is brought to you by HeavyBit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest in this show, or if you have
0: a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us on Twitter at Ollicast. The way that we view observability at Chronosphere is all about, like, the mission is being how quickly can you remediate a problem. In order to do that, you kind of have to understand a lot of what's going on, and the way that the pillars are structured are more, like, inputs to that problem, like the things you can use to figure out what's going on to help remediate your problem faster. But the way we were thinking about it is more, it should be it should be more output-focused, so so that's kind of why we shifted more to um, the phases versus just the three pillars. And our phases are know, triage, and understand.
1: And I love that focus, right? Because it's you should be able to fix the problem even before you necessarily fully understand it, right? Otherwise, you get rabbit hole and you're not actually solving the problem for your users.
0: Right, exactly. And sometimes, you know, you, you have to know the problem. So you have to, you know, know that something's not working as it should or know that something's wrong. And then triage, you know, you can try to remediate during the triage portion or triage phase but not until you kind of you know resolve the problem initially are you able to then go and uh, take the time to understand really root cause why did this happen and try to prevent it from happening in the future and you can do all these things with your telemetry data so your logs metrics and um, traces but if you don't look at it from the outcomes perspective just looking at it from the inputs perspective might not be enough to get you where you need to go
1: Yeah, there's this thing that we've been talking about where, you know, uh, we agree with you, this idea of outcome-based observability, um, because otherwise you're collecting signals like you're collecting Pokemon, but they're not actually doing you any good.
0: Yeah, so that's kind of like how we view the things and uh, being able to have a solution or kind of a platform where you can use all those, um, the inputs, like the three pillars to do the remediation is going to be important, but it's, Um, making sure you have, yeah, everything that you need, the resources you need to be able to utilize them in an effective way and get the outcomes you, I guess, you need to run an effective observability function.
1: Excellent. So now would be a good time for you to introduce yourself.
0: Okay, great. So my name is Gibbs Cullen. I am a developer advocate with Chronosphere, where we are building a cloud-native observability platform and I have been with Chronosphere for almost two years now. And then before that, I was over at Amazon for about five and a half years, mostly doing product management.
1: That's interesting that you um, talked about this idea of coming to developer advocacy, not necessarily from an engineering perspective, but I almost think about product management as an engineering function.
0: Yeah, it can vary for sure. I think I had some different types of product management experience at Amazon where I was much more like product focused and more on the business side and like, what is this product going to look like and um, how are our customers going to interact with it? So I guess that can both be on engineering kind of deals with similar issues, but I think, yeah, probably the way that you are thinking about it and more traditionally is product management is seen as kind of being the left-hand man of the, or woman of the, of the engineering team to try to kind of develop these products and, get them out there and hopefully you know solve problems for customers whether they're internal or external
1: that definitely is a helpful perspective to have because often engineers tend to focus in on like the how rather than the why so it's really helpful to you know understand how are people in going to use this
0: yeah definitely and so yeah no I think all of that kind of product management experience really, Gave me a lot of because uh, I didn't really know what a developer advocate really was prior to Chronosphere. I know we have some like developer relations and developer advocates within Amazon, more so in like AWS. But um, but it was all I kind of what appealed to me about that role is where it's just like it was more focused on the on the how and and also the why and like it was all about like helping promote your your product um, more so and trying to get a better understanding of what customers were looking for or your users were looking for, and trying to articulate that back to like build a better product.
1: Yeah, it feels like that's something that every company that works in developer tooling absolutely should have, but that not everyone does have developer advocacy, or at least a robust developer advocacy department.
0: Uh, it definitely varies. I mean, I'm the only developer advocate at Chronosphere, for example. I mean we, Although you're hiring
1: though, right? We are I, I hiring. hiring.
0: We are hiring, so that's that's good. We need we definitely need to keep building this function out because I think it is a very valuable function. And there's many different components of being a developer advocate. And I think
1: it's really hard to like have someone that focuses across the board. Um, right, we were preparing for this, and and uh, has recently announced tracing, but it, your bread and butter has been metrics for the past couple of years, and that's kind of
0: yeah. So exactly, and so I think right having more people to kind of focus more in on these different lanes of the company um, will be important. It's definitely a really interesting space, though. And it is I find it really fascinating how developer advocacy, or DevRel, developer relations. I feel like there's so many different terms for it, and they all are slightly different, I guess, but how it is so different across the industry and by company. So it's been an interesting space to be in.
1: Speaking of which, what caused you to come to Chronosphere, to come into the observability field? As you know, you were saying, you were working like more on a product team at Amazon that was not necessarily AWS or DevTools.
0: So yeah, I think I was at Amazon for five and a half years, and um, during my time there, I went progressively more to like smaller and smaller teams and like more earlier stage products. Um, I mean, all under the umbrella of Amazon, of course. But um, my my last uh, role at Amazon was on this team within AWS that launched this new program called Data Lab, and it felt like a startup because I was one of the first product managers. It was a really small team, and kind of got to wear a lot of hats and do a lot of different things. And so that really whet my appetite to want to join a startup outside of the Amazon umbrella where the <laughs> stakes are a little bit higher and this everyone, I feel like it has to really come together on that common vision. So yeah, that's kind of what led me to go to a startup, just um, the early stage startup like Chronosphere. And, and yeah, with each time I make a switch in my career, I do try to go somewhere where it is a little bit uncomfortable and it's a lot of new material where I can just keep learning. Um, eventually I'm going to have to like stop doing that and like get to a point where I can become a little bit more specialized and, uh, more of an expert, which I think observability and as a whole is a space that I think I could probably try to do that because there's just so much material
1: and we're so early on. But like I think that's part of what's great about being a dev advocate, right? Like, is we get paid to professionally be learners all the right. time and to put ourselves in the shoes of people who are brand new.
0: Yeah, and if you don't, then you're gonna not be as relevant. You know, you're. I mean, people look to developer advocates to kind of learn what's going on with the product, what's the latest in the industry like get the opinions, he kind of sets the tone. And um, so if you're not, I know you do a great job at this because you're always advocating, you know, open source or hotel or Honeycomb. But yeah, you kind of have to be a learner to be successful in this role. Yeah, it's one
1: of those things where I like coming in and building like demo apps and like seeing how does this actually work. What are the roadblocks? How do we fix it? Um, and I think in that aspect, it's been a exciting couple of years for open telemetry. I'm I'm glad we're kind of finally towards the end of the release candidate 1.0 road, at least for tracing. But now we have to conquer metrics, and now after that we have to do logging, and after that we have to do continuous profiling. There's, yeah, you know, never ends. yes, the pillars are bullshit as far as like collecting them all, but you know, no, they all provide some amount of value. So like yeah. unlocking that value for for OpenTelemetry ecosystem customers is important.
0: Exactly, I think yeah, like having them together is going to provide more value than having them all just be independent. Um, so that definitely makes sense. But yeah, never ending amount of work to
1: do. So speaking of this idea of like discovering things as we go along, kind of to what extent do you wind up dogfooding things uh, at Chronosphere? Like kind of how are you involved in that kind of process of experimenting with the tooling and seeing like where it works, where it doesn't work? Like what have you learned? We
0: definitely um, dogfood all of our products and we use Chronosphere for our own monitoring um, and observability needs and purposes. And so I get excited by that because... For our own customer, that means that we're gonna want a product that's you know as efficient and cost effective and all these other things that you know our customers might want. So that kind of keeps keeps us honest, I guess, with what we are really providing uh, and making sure we're continually making a better product. So I personally don't do a lot of the the testing of products and while they're being developed. Like once they are developed, I will definitely play around with them. But I know like our engineering teams are very involved with dog fooding. During development and then also like once we have new products rolled out, we continue to use them.
1: Yeah, it's one of the fun things that we've done, at least with regard to Honeycomb, is treating our dog food environment as user acceptance testing, right? It's the first to get the new release. If it breaks, we'll find out about it pretty quickly. And that way we get a chance to, you know, give it one last test before it goes and reaches all of our customers.
0: Yeah, and that's really important because otherwise you're gonna be relying on your customers to kind of give you all this feedback and sometimes you know, you might not get everything that you need out of that kind of feedback loop.
1: Yeah, there are definitely a couple of traps with that though, because right, like if you're an expert in the product, you're not going to necessarily see things that someone who is a non-expert is going to, is going to notice.
0: Yeah, that's true. Especially in like observability and products like Honeycomb and Chronosphere, I get, I, I mean, we have engineers that are, a lot of people came from observability or kind of had an understanding of monitoring and metrics beforehand. And so, and that's not the case for a lot of our customers where a lot of engineers there are still kind of new to the space,
1: right? It's that exciting thing where people are embracing this journey of production ownership, right? And that means you have to learn all these tools that previously other people were doing for you.
0: Right, exactly. And so, but that kind of gets your point of like, sometimes if you are too close to the problem, and if you are an expert, like you might not see all the different angles. So I think, yeah, we definitely have to be aware of that, um, especially given that we have, our engineering team is probably not the most representative of like the overarching engineers that are working in observability across all these different companies that are adopting these cloud native monitoring or you know observability solutions. So, but yeah, I think we do a good job of testing ourselves and then always looking for you know feedback from customers or users of our products.
1: Speaking of cloud native, you mentioned that you know you are conceptualizing Chronosphere as this cloud native observability solution. What does it mean to you find kind of for an observability solution to be cloud native? You know, I know that the CNCF has tag observability. How do these things relate to each other?
0: I think for us, like the shift to cloud native, I mean, it's still ongoing and it hasn't, I feel like it came into conception not even that many years ago, but it's kind of forced companies to kind of reevaluate how they manage their infrastructures and everything. So I think the shift going from kind of more VM based architecture infrastructure to Kind of more application or microservices based, like container based um, architectures, is just like driving an explosion in metrics. Where you know people we talk to are they're seeing ten to fifteen times more metrics than they used to um, in their old like VM based.
1: Right, exactly. Like the containers are ephemeral; the tags are constantly going to be changing. Therefore, yeah, yeah, that definitely is a large architectural difference. Um, yeah, you know, in the tracing world, it's been interesting. We've been talking about this idea that. In theory, your application should be agnostic to where it's running, and therefore the difference, as far as the tracing signal is concerned, is simply that you have an encouragement to proliferate more microservices that you need to understand better. But it's not necessarily a change to the format the data comes in. Whereas it sounds like in metrics, right? Like you know, you have all of these containers that are being started up and shut down, and you only get metrics for a certain period of time from any one container.
0: Yeah, I think that's like been a, a big driver in um, creating these solutions like Chronosphere that are we, where we call ourselves more cloud native is because I think the goal is to be able to come up with a solution that can accommodate this level of scale and like the, the increase in metrics that are, we're seeing across the board.
1: Yeah, so I guess there's the data volume challenge, kind of what are the problems of trying to correlate behavior between applications that are now kind of jumping around between different hosts?
0: I mean, yeah, that's an interesting problem because I feel like if you do have applications kind of jumping around various hosts, you might be having to jump between different dashboards or views to kind of get that single that single pane of glass or that overview of what's happening across all of your hosts. Yeah, so I think having a solution where you can kind of have everything in one place that's going to be really important because um, like that problem is going to continue on and like you're going to have the complexity so is just going to get greater and greater and greater. So I think as long as you can maintain a single point of view of everything or overview of what's going on, then that'll be important. So I think at Chronosphere, I know we're trying to really make it so that everything's kind of integrated really tightly, like traces, metric data, all like integrated really tightly. So you don't have to switch between different you know panes um, or windows to kind of see what's going on.
1: Yeah, that kind of cognitive switching cost of switching tools like per signal is just way too high. I think the other interesting thing that you said that I that I really liked was the idea of, you know, you shouldn't need to care which container something is running in, right? Like that you should have this overall view and that the older ways that were kind of focused on per VM views just don't work when you're when you're more interested in the application itself.
0: Right. And then you can then have the ability with traces or whatever telemetry data you want to go and deep dive and like look at, you know, VM or container, individual containers. But I think that shouldn't be the first step that should be like, you know, part of the the triage or kind of
1: remediation. Right, exactly. The joke that I tend to make is you wouldn't look at a tree trunk with binoculars. That just doesn't make sense, right? Like you want right. to start zoomed in at the right level and then be able to zoom in or out from there.
0: Right. No, of course. Um, And it sounds like really obvious, but I think... um,
1: People have all these old tools and they're like, you know, I just want to use this one tool. And it's like, does it really make sense to continue using that same tool? Like when applying to all the problems?
0: Right. Yeah, no, I know. Exactly. And I think as data continues to grow and cardinality continues to grow, I think people that may be holding out on, like holding on to some of these older legacy tools may start having to be forced to kind of think about other ways of managing their their data.
1: Yeah. Um, Oh, speaking of cardinality and kind of data storage engines, I know that Chronosphere is built on M3, which is open source. Kind of how has that been to kind of be based upon a fully open source product? Like kind of how does that relationship play out? Because like we've seen these weird things with like elastic deciding that you're going to kind of fork and take things closed source or like source available. What's that dynamic been like for you and the kind of M3 and the broader M3 community?
0: I I find it really exciting to be kind of based on a fully open source product. Um, I think, you know, back at Uber, you know, they built M3 internally to kind of meet Ubers and their own like metrics monitoring use cases. And they could have very easily just said like, okay, we're just going to do this just for Uber. But they decided from day one to open source, open source, the project. So it's been open source from day one. And I think that's really cool because like, you know, while all these like standardizations are great, you know, more open protocols and everything. I think without having companies like Uber build these like new custom solutions can maybe limit the innovation that we continue to see in the space. And the fact that they decided to open source it, um, I think, has really. There's other solutions that are similar, like you know Cortex and Thanos. All of were kind of created in a similar vein. And I think without having that drive to be open source from day one, you know, we wouldn't be where we are now in terms of having all these different solutions be to innovate.
1: Right, it's the competition and also being able to look at what the other project is doing and be able to kind of incorporate features. That's very handy. I was part of Google, um, you know, not when the BigTable page was originally released, but I was working on BigTable for a very long time. And it was very interesting to see that HBase came along because of BigTable, right? That people went and and implemented Hadoop, inf- implemented HBase. And then when we released Cloud BigTable, we had to re-implement the HBase protocol and map it onto BigTable because we didn't release BigTable as open source in the first place, right? Right. So kind of that transition from, you know, the data platform is our secret sauce. To like the data platform is open, right? Like I think that that's been a huge strategic shift to the way that large companies see things now.
0: Yeah, exactly. And things are going to always be changing and continue to change. And so, like making sure you're continuing to be adaptable and being consistent or compatible with these like open standards is going to make any sort of changes a lot easier. And so that's something that we've like you know held strong to is just making sure that we are kind of keeping consistent and compatible with all these standards so that our customers don't have to go through those pain points that you may experience, you know, for more closed standards. Right, exactly.
1: And that makes it seamless for someone to move from self-hosting M3 to using you or using open metrics to yeah, send data to, exactly. you know, both Prometheus and you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's definitely a thing where at Honeycomb, we kind of decided, you know what, actually we're deprecating our, or like moving to maintenance mode, our previous telemetry in just SDKs because... Like, you know, optometry exists now. There's no reason not to kind of use the common shared technology. Right. What's your experience been working with tag observability at the CNCF, formerly uh, SIG observability?
0: Yeah. So I, I've started kind of uh, regularly attending and participating in the tag meetings, maybe uh, getting of this year. And it's been an interesting experience kind of just kind of sitting in and now getting to a point where I feel like I'm participating a bit more. You know, one of the chairs, Matt Young, he really is has a lot of these ideas for ways to kind of grow engagement with the tag. So I'm kind of helping out a little bit with that, and a lot of the these efforts are going to be eventually to kind of try to recruit people of different backgrounds and of different roles, and not uh, in you know of different interactions with observability. Because right now, I think a lot of people I've talked to want to get more involved with the tag and like really like what they're doing. And want to be more involved with open source, but I think it's a little bit hard to get yourself in there um, since we do most of the people that are running or kind of highly involved with the tag, you know, are experts in the field and
1: experts in the field. Maybe work at vendors or work at kind of companies who've done this a long time.
0: Yeah, they're mostly engineers. We don't have many end users. Don't have many people that are not engineers. So I think I would love to see, and I think the you know the tag is working to try to to do initiatives to try to recruit more people that kind of can have a more representative voice and perspective of what's going on across these CNCF observability projects as a whole, and not just from the perspectives of these like vendors.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see the balance between the SICK instrumentation in Kubernetes, and then the overall tag for the CNCF, as well as the Open Telemetry project. There are so many interesting efforts going on there. And I'm glad to see that all of us are kind of focusing on expanding the set of voices that are represented at the table.
0: Exactly. And I think, you know, part of me also like feels like, you know, there's so much mindshare to be kind of like spread across these groups. And I know that they are all their own thing and kind of siloed, but I've always been curious to see if there was like ways to kind of get these groups together and like maybe collaborate because a lot of the groups do have similar goals and missions. So I'm still new to all of it a little, like, for the most part, but um, I think that would be an interesting thing to to see in the future, if, if that would be a, at all possible.
1: Awesome. So kind of the last thing that I wanted to talk about is, um, so both Honeycomb and Grafana and Chronosphere have announced like fairly large funding rounds in, in the past couple of months. What does this mean for our space?
0: Yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of crazy. And congratulations, by the way. Yeah, well, congratulations to you as well very exciting. And and it is kind of crazy to see all of this funding come together in this space, like in such a short amount of time. But I think it really just goes to show that there is a really pressing need for observability and these types of solutions in the market. And I think this, you know, increased amount of funding will allow, uh, at least I know at Critosphere, like it's going to allow us to continue our efforts to kind of really build out more of like a platform for our customers or users to really come and like be able to deploy all the three phases that we discussed earlier uh, in one place. And so by having this additional funding, I think we're going to see that across the board, just like, you know, having these solutions become more robust and become better solutions for, you know, small companies or big companies. I think we'll start seeing a lot more come out of these companies with the additional resources and funding.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a thing where, All of this investment in this space means that we can develop things that are kind of both individual to our companies, as well as things that kind of raise the tide for everyone and help everyone get better at this. Right, exactly. It's going to be definitely a very interesting time, but like, I'm glad that we're still in this phase where we can contribute to these common solutions and kind of raise awareness of the outcome-based observability rather than kind of fighting over the definition of observability.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: (laughs) yeah, the other thing that I think is really cool about this is it kind of validates um I don't know if you've seen the Stripe developer coefficient survey um from a couple of years ago.
0: Mm, I don't think I have.
1: but Stripe basically interviewed a bunch of engineering teams and they basically said, we're spending seventeen hours of every forty hours on kind of break fix work. And it's like really you're you're like that's forty five percent of your week that's just gone like that, right? Like, We all deserve so much better than that, right? And and observability, I think, is this huge piece of it that is finally getting kind of invested in enough that we can make it table stakes for everyone.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because it's it's not sustainable to, like, you know, have an operation where your developer headcount growth and your metrics growth are going literally together. Um, So I think, you know, these solutions and platforms um, like Cunningham and Chronosphere eventually, I feel like they're going to get more robust and more powerful where, these companies can rely on them more and not have to like put people behind the problem necessarily.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, It was a pleasure having you on the show.
0: Yeah, thank you so much.
1: That was a delightful conversation that I enjoyed and I hope you did too. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, You can reach us on Twitter at OllieCast. To learn more about HeavyBit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. Hope to see you next time.